Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Come on, let's give Jesus a shout of praise in here this morning. Hallelujah! We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Oh, I'm excited this morning. We've already sung my preach. Don't you love it when the Holy Ghost does stuff like that? It's just good fun. It's so good to see you guys again, man. I love coming to Kings. Man, you guys are awesome. And I don't know why you keep inviting me back. Maybe you're just brave. But uh, it, it is a joy to be here this morning. I, I want to get right to it. Is that okay? I mean, do y'all like lunch? from time to time. I want to get right into it. We're going to have some fun this morning. I want to preach a message to you that I call the God I serve because I believe, I believe that sometimes we need to just brag on him. And so I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of second Timothy. Now all morning, I'm going to be bouncing around the scriptures like crazy because I like to be able to prove what I'm talking about. I don't like it when people think I'm making stuff up. So you might not be able to keep up with all of them, but we're going to start here in the book of second Timothy. It's a scripture we're all familiar with, but we only really quote verse 12 of chapter 1, and we don't go on. But I like, I like the other two scriptures right beside it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. If you've got it, say amen. amen. Paul said this, For this reason I also suffer these things. Yet I am not ashamed. Come on, shout not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. See, what you believe about God defines your life. Can I say it again? What you believe about God defines your life. For instance, if you believe that God puts sickness and disease on people to teach them a lesson, then you might hesitate to pray for healing because you're going to think that, oh, well, maybe this was God's will that this be on them. What you believe about God defines your life. By the way, I I just want to announce to you today, God does not put sickness on people to teach anybody anything. I wish we could get mad at the right person. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. What you believe about God defines your life. If you believe that it is noble and godly to walk in poverty, then you're going to walk around with not a penny in your bank account. Because you think, don't get mad because I'm an American. We're not taking up any more offerings today. Everybody relax. Relax your wallet muscles. It's all good. It's all good. But how many know that our God is the God of more than enough? And he does not want his children going around begging for bread. He wants you to have everything you need to fulfill your assignment from heaven. What you believe about God defines your life. We just read this scripture that said you've got to retain the standard. We know in whom we have believed, but you've got to hold on to what you believe about Jesus Christ. 
Because if you haven't noticed lately, excuse me, Cambridge, I've watched the BBC since I've been over here. Your culture is attacking your Christianity. Me too. I'm from America. We don't hot dark crazy. We put it on the news for everybody to see. We just appreciated y'all having the Brexit because it made our election not look quite as much a circus. <laughs> we might have declared independence, but thank God we're all still working together. How many know that the culture that we're living in today is totally anti-Christ? Well, we've got to hold on to the standard of sound words. We've got to hold on to the truth about Jesus Christ because what we believe, it defines our life. And some things are not for sale. You might call me intolerant, but we cannot condone homosexuality. We can't go along with this transgender nonsense because Jesus called it an abomination. There are some things that are not for sale. Can I, can I give you a picture of this? See, in American football, okay, I know. I love your kind of football too. Don't anybody get mad at me. But in my kind of football, when the quarterback, the Bulldogs won yesterday, Uncle Al. I'm just saying. 48 to 10, take that, Kentucky. Jesus is on the throne. I'm okay. It's all right. But. I like football. I just do. I like both kinds of football. But in my kind of football, okay, when the quarterback throws the football to a receiver, it's not enough to catch it. He's got to hold on to it because there's 11 other guys that are running for him. And they don't play nicely. (laughs) Have you ever watched American football? They're all out to kill each other. And so he's got to hold on, but he also has to guard. If he's going to score, it takes more than just catching. You've got to hold on aggressively, and you've got to block because there's an enemy with your na- with, and he's coming after you. You've got to hold on to what you know to be true, and you've got to guard it through the Holy Ghost. Y'all didn't know I could preach with football. Come on, just deal with it. Some things are not up for sale, like, like the blood of Jesus. See, there's a guy in America that's been used in, in Christian music and... Uh, He's kind of gone off the deep end. The other day on Twitter, he was saying, he was saying if, if all you know about, about Jesus, he said, the idea of a father killing his son for my sins is horrific. He said, if all you've got to sing about is the blood of Jesus, then you need to look around because the cross can mean so much more in our culture. My blood caught fire. Emma, if I never sing another thing in this whole world but the blood of Jesus, it'll be all right. Because I know it was the blood that set me free. I know what I was messed up with before Jesus got a hold of me. I was totally bound by fear and locked down and couldn't do a thing for myself. But when Jesus set me free by his blood, I have never been the same since. What I believe about God defines my life and I'm holding on for all I'm worth. And I'm going to guard it through the Holy Ghost. So I want to talk about the God I serve. I don't know how far we're, we're going to get because I don't want to preach the everlasting gospel, but we're about to have fun in here. I feel the Holy Ghost. See, number one, the God I serve is the chain breaker. He's the chain breaker. He breaks every chain. There is nothing that you walked in with this morning that is too difficult for God to deal with. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. If you walked in and changed this morning, I've got good news for you. Jesus is into freedom and he hates bondage and he's good at breaking every chain. He is the chain breaker. 
So if you're the person that's been pumping addiction pills, uh, prescription pills, and nobody knows about it, and you've been totally addicted in secret, if you're the person that's been addicted to pornography and you've not been able to get free, there's good news. Jesus is here, and he's the chain breaker. But sometimes your life will end up in chains for something you did that was right. Anybody been walking with God for more than 10 minutes? For instance, okay, there were these three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were doing everything right. They were minding their own business. I don't know if you've read the book of Daniel lately, but they didn't move to Babylon because it was an excellent career opportunity. They were kidnapped. Come on, y'all. Nebuchadnezzar was a nut job. Read the book of Daniel. I wish somebody with a psychology degree would analyze that guy. Dude was so crazy he could hide his own Easter eggs and still be surprised. (laughs) I bet y'all don't say that in Great Britain. If you need a southern interpreter, Nathan's not here today, so you're just on your own. But Nebuchadnezzar kidnaps these boys. He takes them to Babylon. Babylon means confusion. He puts them in this land of confusion, says, you're going to serve me or you can be dead. Those are the rules. And, and they are totally ripped out of their comfort zone. And they, they made this decision a long time before you ever get to the fiery furnace. They made a decision, and it was a worship decision. Excuse me, I'm a worship leader. It gets into my preaching just a bit. I'm not even sorry. They made a decision. Nebuchadnezzar, before he ever put the statue up in that valley, before he ever said, when you hear the music, you're going to bow down. You know the devil's got his own worship team, right? Before he ever said, when the music starts, you're going to bow down, and if you don't, I've got a furnace with your name on it. Before they ever got in that situation, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had made a decision with their friend Daniel. They had said, we might live in Babylon, but Babylon will not live in us. We are not bowing down to this system of Babylon. We are not going to bow down. But when the rubber met the road, how many know the devil's just not all threats? Sometimes you, you end up getting called on the carpet for something that you did right. So just because they obeyed God, just because they didn't bow down to this stupid statue, they end up standing before the king and he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. Fire the worship team back up, and if you don't bow down to my statue, you're going in the fire. Let me, let me, I don't want you to think I'm making it up. This is all in the Bible. Daniel 3, verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar rules, you know, the known world at that time. And they're mouthing off to him. (laughs) We don't need to give you an answer. Don't you know that made him even crazier? If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not. I wish we had some of that in Cambridge this morning. Come on, church. Even if he does not. Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, now... The problem is we shout about it because we know the end of the story. But you got to remember, Nebuchadnezzar did not pat them on the back and say, Oh, yes, amen, praise God. Aren't you just a wonderful witness for Jesus? Now let's go get some Sunday dinner. It did not work that way. 
In fact, he immediately wrapped them in chains. He immediately cranked the heat up in that furnace to seven times hotter. How many have ever had the devil crank up an attack on you? You think it can't get any worse and all of a sudden it's seven times hotter and what are we going to do now? And it wasn't an empty threat. He threw them in that furnace. Anybody ever had the devil follow through on a threat? But there's good news. That's not the end of the story. I love this scripture. I get happy every time. I'm going to preach myself happy. I don't even need y'all. You look cute, but I don't need you. Verse 23, but these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the burnace of blazing, blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded. Don't you like it when the devil gets shocked? He was astounded and he stood up in haste and he said to his high officials, was it not three men we cast into the midst of the fire that replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men loosed. Come on, shout loosed. I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God. My God's the chain breaker. So what do you do? We just read it. So it's a trick question. What do you do when the devil throws you all chained up, throws you into the fire? You take a walk. He throws you in. You're all wrapped up in chains. You just go ahead, baby, and take a walk in that fire with the God who said, I am a consuming fire. Because you can bet on this, honey, the one who is a consuming fire, Jesus is walking in that fire with you. And you're going to take a walk on the chains that held you bound. Not only are the chains going to fall off, but you're going to dance on them. And guess what? When you get up out of that fire, you're not even going to smell like smoke. It's not even going to look like an attack hits your life because the God I serve is the chain breaker. See, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was going to stop their destiny short. He thought he was going to cut them off. They're not going to fulfill their purpose. And how many know the devil loves to try to cut off your purpose? But I came to tell you this morning, he's just not that cool. Let me quote Tracy. Tracy's one of my mamas. If you're not here Tuesday night, I'm going to slap you the next time I'm here. (laughs) You have got to come. Tracy is one of my mamas. I've known her since I was 12. She's a real prophet. She does not prophesy. How many have ever been prophesied to? Don't raise your hand. Don't look at your neighbor. Just look at me. Let me quote Tracy Stewart. The devil is nothing more than a brain damaged demon that does not have sense enough to know that he has already been defeated. What am I talking about? The Bible says that Jesus, the devil bruised the heel of Jesus, but Jesus put, put his foot on that devil's head. The devil's got brain damage. Come on. He can't cut your life short. He's never been that cool. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, God bragging on himself. Don't you love it when he does that? He said, surely as I have thought, it has happened. Even as I have intended, so it has come to pass. If God has a plan for your life, do you believe that? If God has a plan for your life, the devil cannot stop it. So if you are not fulfilling the plan of God for your life, don't blame Jesus and don't blame the devil. Look in the mirror, boo-boo, because it was you. Was that too Southern? I can't tell. 
The devil can't stop your purpose. He might try it. He might throw you in chains. But I came to tell you, your chains are not Jesus proof. The God I serve is the chain breaker and he breaks every chain. That was a good place to say amen, church. Let's keep on moving. We're about to have some fun. Are you okay? Are you bored? Okay. You know I'm not going to be bored in church. Number two, the God I serve is the gate unlocker. That doesn't make any sense at all because we're Western. So let me help you, okay? Can we just have a nerd moment? I know everybody else wears these glasses because they're hipster, but I earned my nerd glasses, okay? We're going to have some nerd moments, okay? Here you go. In, in Hebrew times, in Bible times, the gate of the city was the seat of authority. Okay? So the gate of the city is where all the real business was done. This is where the judges sat. If you needed a, if you needed a verdict, if you needed to do business with the court, you're going to go to the gate of the city. It's town hall. It's city hall. Is that what we call it here? So this is where all the power was. In fact, so let's give you some examples. I want you to understand what I'm talking about. See, the gates, when the gates were open, you're welcome to come and go, do business as you please. You're good. If the gates are closed, you're not coming in here right now. And if you're trying to come in when the gate was closed, that's an invasion. And an invasion, come on, that's an act of war. Are you, are, are you with me so far? Are you, are you still okay? Do we need to pass out coffee? And I don't mean none of that instant stuff. I love you. I love you, England, but I do not understand why we're drinking instant coffee. That is dirt in a cup. That is dirt in a cup, Ben. I'm telling you. Cannot do it. No way. But when the gates were closed, you could not come in. And if you tried to come in when the gate was closed, that was an invasion. So let me give you some examples of amazing things that happened at the gate of a city. Because it's the seat of authority. When Abraham's wife, Sarah, when she dies, okay, and he had to buy some land so he could bury his dead wife. He bought that land. That transaction occurred at the gate of the city. Let me give you another one, okay. When Boaz redeemed Ruth... He married her in one action. He married Ruth. He bought her property, okay, and he agreed to the community, to the best of my ability, I'm going to have a son with this woman so that her ex-husband, her dead husband, his name will not be blotted out of the genealogy. This entire transaction of redemption occurred at the gate of the city. Can I give you one more? When Nebuchadnezzar took over the nation of Judah, he he conquered that entire nation by setting down his throne in the city gates of Jerusalem because that was the city capital. The seat of authority is the gate of the city. So this now makes, when you have this perspective, it makes, it, it makes the scripture come alive in a way that, that it never has before. Watch this. In the book of Judges, I'm looking to see how many kids are in the room. I don't want any of you to have weird conversation with your kids on the way home because I'm about to talk about Samson. And Samson was not really rated G. (laughs) Let's say it this way. Samson had a problem. Samson had difficulty knowing which bed to sleep in. Everybody okay? (laughs) Samson is in the bed of a prostitute. This is Judges chapter 16. He's in a Philistine city. He's got no business being there, okay? And because this is the enemy's territory. Do you understand? Now, the good news about Samson is God used him in spite of the fact that he was not right. 
The bad news is that God also cut his life short because of it. So don't think you're going to get away with that. Selah. But this story, I've, I've heard this story in, in Judges about Samson all my life. But now that you have the perspective of the gate of the city, I want you to see what happened here. It, this is a powerful scripture. This beats Marvel Comics right here. Come on. Judges 16 verse 2, it says, When it was told to the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place, and they lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. Do you see that? Now, y'all, look. You see that word surrounded? This is not rocket science. What does surrounded mean? There ain't no way out, right? They're sitting there waiting. They've got their swords drawn, right? Okay. They lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city, and they kept silent all night, saying, Let us wait until the morning light, and then we will kill him. Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose, and he took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts and pulled them up along with the bars. Then he put them on his shoulders. I love it. And he carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron. Can I help you understand this scripture? It sounds so bizarre when you're a Westerner. It's like a temper tantrum. Why is Samson going crazy, all incredible Hulk on us? Okay, well, for starters, Samson, I do not believe Samson looked like the incredible Hulk. I bet nobody else preaches about comic book figures in this church. If you think I'm nuts, I can't wait for Tuesday night. Tracy's going to blow your face off. I just can't wait. I would love to be a fly on the wall. But I don't believe Samson looked like the Incredible Hulk because, listen, let's just be real. If he was 400 pounds and ripped, nobody's going to ask what the secret of his strength is, right? If he's 400 pounds and ripped, the secret of his strength is not a mystery. It is steroids. (laughs) Right? Clearly, I have more fun reading the Bible than y'all do. But if he looks like Mr. Bean <laughs> with dreadlocks, come on, somebody. If he looks like he's about 90 pounds soaking wet, stand up, son. I'm going to pick on you. <laughs> Samson right here, man. So, yeah, you. <laughs> okay, I owe you. I love you. You can sit down. If he is 90 pounds soaking wet and that guy picks up the jawbone of a donkey and opens up a can of whoop butt on a thousand warriors, now we got us a ball game, right? Everybody's going to go, what is the secret of that guy's strength? So the Bible says, you see it right there, he was surrounded. They lay in wait for him all night. They've got their swords drawn. When he wakes up, we're going to kill him. And they're eagerly waiting to take him out. They weren't even wrong to do that. He had no business being in the enemy's territory. But the Bible says that he stayed in bed until midnight. And when he got up, he took hold of the doors of the city. Wait a minute. How did he do that? They have him surrounded. He walks through them. And they don't see him. They don't hear him. They still got their swords drawn. When he wakes up, we're going to kill him. He walks right through them. He walks up to the doors of the city gate. Y'all, it's not like the doors in this building. City gate doors are massive. I saw some in the Netherlands. They're absolutely huge in the city. I mean, they were absolutely massive. You don't walk over to those and just rip them off. 
Here goes Samson, Mr. Bean with dreadlocks. He walks up to those doors and he rips them off the hinges. There you go. Come on. He's got a new name today. He's Mr. Bean now. Come on, somebody. They don't hear Samson rip those doors off. They don't see that either. They're still waiting on him to wake up. They don't know what he's done. Samson picks those doors up. Y'all, I'm about to, I'm about to preach in here. He picks those doors up and he puts them on his shoulder because this was a prophecy about Jesus. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah said that Jesus would have the government placed on his shoulders. He's taking the authority back. See, I don't know about you, but in America, I'm just about fed up to my eyeballs on the White House and Congress telling us how I'm going to execute my Christianity. I'm about tired of my culture dictating what's appropriate and what's not. It's about time that we got the authority back where it belongs. And if you're not impressed with the fact that Samson got that governmental authority on his shoulders, even though that was totally impossible, as if that's not enough, he marched it up a mountain And made sure that it was in Hebron. Put it back in the kingdom of God. I came to tell you this morning. That the authority is getting put back in the kingdom of God. The power is going back where it's supposed to be. Because my God knows how to open up the gates. That's why the psalmist David said, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors. Because the king of glory is coming in. Ready or not, here he comes. Politically correct or not, here he comes. You can shut the gates on him, but he'll just rip them off the hinges because this is an invasion. Heaven is invading earth. Oh, come on, Cambridge. He's the gate unlocker. You ain't never going to see Samson the same way again. You can blame my daddy for that, (laughs) especially since he's not here to defend himself. Are y'all okay? Oh, glory. Okay, here we go. We sang it all morning long. You sang it so cute. Number three, the God I serve is the way maker. Oh, hallelujah. He is the way maker. Let me tell you what that means. That is very uncomfortable. This is, this is one that will make you a bit nervous, especially if you're one of those logical people where you just got to have a plan for everything. Because what I've noticed with God is A plus B does not always equal C. Sometimes he just does something completely different. But he knows how to make a way where there seems to be no way. I even love that terminology. If you are the person that Phil talked to this morning, that you do not see a way forward, that's okay. God's not intimidated by what you can't see. He's not logical. He's supernatural. He doesn't operate by our logic. Sometimes that's why we're frustrated. Have you ever noticed when you pray and you're really worried about something that God never does seem nervous? And you can feel like he's insensitive. No, he's prophetic. He knows the way that there doesn't seem to be. He already, it's not like he's sitting up in heaven going, oh, I didn't expect that to happen. What are we going to do now, boys? 
No, God's not intimidated by what we don't know about our situation. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. Now, I said that thing about God is not logical, but he's supernatural. I said that on my Facebook page once, and I got a guy real mad at me. How many know some folk ought not to have access to the Internet? (laughs) Don't look at your neighbor. Just look at me. He says to me, he got mad. He kicked off a little bit. He said, I have to do a funny voice, Emma. You know I do. It's like a movie in my head that never stops. He said, I urge you to consider the ramifications of God being illogical. I thought, dude, have you read the Bible? (laughs) Like ever? Here's a scripture from the Old Testament. God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how far the gap is. So just in case you want to know, astronomers still have no earthly idea how high the heavens are above the earth because we can't find the end of it all. So it's a pretty big gap. You want a New Testament scripture, Paul said, the natural mind cannot conceive of the things of the Spirit of God. I urge you to consider the ramifications of God being illogical. You know, y'all, when I get to heaven, I hope we get to see the movies and stuff. Look how y'all looking at me. You know you want to watch some of the movies and some of the big events of the Bible. Come on. For one thing, popcorn in heaven is going to rock. That was a great place to say amen and you missed it. If popcorn is that awesome here on earth, you know when we get to heaven and there ain't no calories in it, come on. It's going to be epic. It's going to be epic. But I want to see the movie. I want to see the movie not of when the walls fell down for Joshua. I want to see the movie of when he got that battle plan and came out. Can you imagine? He is in charge of the whole country. He comes out. He's just heard from God and tells the commanding generals of the army of Israel. He says, I've got the plan. They're saying, okay, what's the plan? He says, we're going to walk around the wall once a day for seven days in total silence. None of that hoo-ha stuff. You can't be doing that. <laughs> you boys would have messed it all up on the first lap. <laughs> you women need to get a cheer going in this church. The men folk are putting, putting you to shame here. But it's like we're going to walk around the wall once a day for six days in total silence. They're like, right, what's the rest of the plan? And he says, on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. And then the priests are going to blow their trumpets. Da, 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 da. And then the whole nation is all going to go. That's the plan. That's the whole plan. No backup plan. No plan B. We don't have a nuclear bomb just waiting for the launch code. We've got nothing else. That's the whole plan. I urge you to consider the ramifications of God being illogical. What about David? I mean, y'all, have you ever, sometime, take some time and study the battle plans in the Bible. They are all ridiculous. It's awesome. How about David? God says, God says, you're going to go fight the Philistines. Those guys just never would go away. Okay? So he says to David, you're going to go fight him. David said, what's the plan? What do you want me to do? God said, I want you to go hide 
in the myrtle trees. <laughs> and when you hear the sound of footsteps in the trees, then you can go on ahead and fight. The trees are going to have footsteps in the trees. What? That scripture is how we found out that the Lord is the Lord of breakthrough. Because David obeyed the ridiculous word of the Lord. Here's one, here's one. I love this one because it's even better. Gideon comes out of his little prayer meeting and he's got a plan. Oh yeah, this is a good one. We're going to take some clay pots. And we're going to put a torch in it. And when I say go, we're going to smash the pots. That's going to cause the torches to ignite, okay? Now, I'm not a big strategy chick. I don't play chess or anything, but I'm pretty sure that if you've got 300 rednecks against an army that can't be numbered, you don't need to be lighting up your position because now they know how to shoot you, (laughs) right? (laughs) Say what you want to about America. We know when to duck, okay? So (laughs) we're going to smash the pots, light the torch, 300 rednecks against an army that can't be numbered. Light the torch, and then we're going to blow those trumpets because, hey, God likes those trumpets. Da, 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 da. And then we're going to all shout, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. What? What I love about God is he didn't bother to explain himself. Oh, can I just tell you, guess what? I love you, boo-boo, but God does not owe you an explanation for when he gives you instructions. But when you obey what might seem to be the illogical word of the Lord, in that discomfort of this sounds ridiculous, all of a sudden you find out you are the way maker. And he makes a way where there seems to be no way. See, in the book of Exodus 14, you've got the children of Israel. They've just been released from bondage. They were at the Red Sea. They're throwing a party. They're having one of those church services where all your makeup ends up in your hanky and your hair ends up looking like a haystack. (laughs) Come on, this is a Pentecostal church. If you leave here looking good this morning, you didn't do it right. (laughs) You know it's the truth. Them old-time Pentecostal women, they didn't wear any makeup. I know they got legalistic with that, Emma, but sometimes I think they saved a lot of money because I always end up with all my makeup in the carpet somewhere. (laughs) Cried half of it off in worship this morning. Thank you, boys. So... They're having one of those church services. They've, they're, they're shouting and screaming. They've, got, they've even got the tambourines out. By the way, if you're in the room and you're Caucasian, the tambourines are not for you. I'll be the one to say it. This is what every worship leader has always wanted to say. Let me tell you, if you are a white person, the tambourines are not for you. Those are for our black brothers and sisters. They are not for white people. And it's all because your mama can't dance and your daddy don't rock and roll. Wow, we're having a really good time this morning. Samson's Mr. Bean and we're not rocking and rolling. But they're having this church service. They're celebrating their newfound freedom. They're on the edge of the Red Sea. There's, there's the sea in front of them. There's nowhere to go to the right or to the left. And suddenly they see a dust cloud behind them. And it's a shockwave of horror that goes through the whole camp. Because here comes Egypt and they're coming back. Your best case scenario is they're going to take you back into slavery. Your worst case scenario is that Pharaoh might be fed up with the Hebrew problem and he's going to kill you. There is no way out. The Bible says this, 
The Bible says in Exodus 14, 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and he turned the sea into dry land. Y'all, there were no mud puddles. If you've seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, there were no mud puddles. That thing was as dry as the desert. It was like walking on a motorway across the sea. Okay? And the Bible says that the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. (laughs) They didn't have... I like that movie, The Ten Commandments. It's really fun. You know, so let it be written and so let it be done. All this stuff. It's really fun. But guess what? The Israelites were not bandaged up wearing tattered rags and hobbling out on crutches. The Bible says every single one of them was completely healed and whole. Girls don't get mad at me for this. None of the women anywhere in the world like this. But they didn't have to go shopping. The Bible said their clothes lasted for the next 40 years. Sorry, it's just the way it was. The men said hoo-ha. Okay. <laughs> the Bible says that, that, that Moses commanded Israel to go and ask their Egyptian neighbors for all their rich people stuff. They borrowed jewelry. They borrowed clothes. How many know this wasn't prosperity to make you feel good and be rich? This was back pay for 430-something years of slavery. That When they walked out, they walked out with the treasure of Egypt on their back and marched through what was absolutely the coolest aquarium in the history of the world. Our God knows how to make a way where there seems to be no way. He is good. My best, this is the biggest revelation I've had in 2017. Y'all ready? God is really good at being God. Me, not so much. I've noticed that every single time I've ever tried to help him, it does not work out. Anybody want to be honest in church and say, yep, me too. I did that. Got my Ishmael. Come on. But he's really good at making a way where there seems to be no way. He is the way maker. Miracle worker. We're going to sing that all day. Come on. This is, this is where I've wanted to get to, though. We're almost done. Number four, the God I serve is the door opener. Quickly turn in your Bibles with me to Acts 12. This is a crazy scripture. I'm making you turn there because I want you to believe me. <laughs> Herod had just killed James. And he got such a great public relations response from that that he went ahead and he arrested Peter too. But he put four squadrons of soldiers on Peter because somewhere around Acts chapter 4-ish, chapter 5-ish, they had already been busted out of jail by an angel before. So Herod knows these boys are hard to hold on to. So let's start reading in verse 6. This is just so crazy. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. See, they're in the cell with him, bound with two chains. This guy's a fisherman. You realize that, right? It's not like they called Osama bin Laden here, okay? And guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrist. Now watch this. The angel of the Lord struck Peter. Can we just talk about that for two seconds in here? Because there are weird people that like to say that they've had encounters with angels all the time. I mean, there was a crazy lady at my mom and dad's church that she had this Barney the Dinosaur purple chair in her house. And she told us that every day the angel Sarah would come and have tea with her and teach her things. I'm like, well, first of all, there are no girl angels in the Bible. So sorry, you lose. (laughs) 
Second of all, in the Bible, when angels came down, they usually had to tell somebody, you can get off the floor now. I didn't come to kill you. When this, fact, when this scripture says, the angel of the Lord struck Peter, <laughs> I looked up that Greek word. You know I don't speak Greek, but I have an app for that. So I looked up that word. The word for he struck Peter, this was not, wakey, wakey, Peter, it's time to get up and go, baby. No. <laughs> That word struck Peter. Oh, no. He, it, the Bible says it's the same word, okay, that they used in the Gospels to describe when they beat Jesus when they sent him to the cross. Are you with me? The angel of the Lord punched Peter and woke him up. This is what we call a rude awakening. And you think you're going to have some tea with angels. Help us. <laughs> The Bible says in verse 8, And the angel said to him, Guard yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. Okay, well, what in the world was Peter's prayer life like? If an angel showing up and punching him, waking him up and busting him out of jail was just another day in the neighborhood to him. Like, what on earth? Verse 10, when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself, and they went out and along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. See, I came to tell you that if God woke you up, it's because he wants to walk you out. See, this was the jailbreak that Peter did not expect. I'm going to take all the pressure off the room right now, okay? God wants to get involved with what you've stopped expecting, with the prayers that you've stopped praying. Peter didn't expect God to get him out of jail. He never prayed that prayer. You read Acts 12 when you get home. You have homework today. He didn't expect God to bust him out. He didn't even ask God to bust him out. As far as he was concerned, he was going to testify for Jesus one last time and his head was going on the chopping block and that was it. And I know if you read the rest of Acts 12, I know that the church was praying for Peter and they were praying for him fervently, but they, this is terrifying. They did not pray with expectation. Oh, come on. You can pray with fervency and passion. You can get loud and you can snot in this carpet and you can still not really believe that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Because when Peter did get busted out of jail and their prayers were answered and he's knocking on the front door, they left him standing out in the cold. Oh, I know we're Pentecostal. We like passion. We like fervency. But you better know that that can turn into a show just as quickly as any other religious ritual can. The good news is God wants to do what you don't expect him to do. See, I've heard a lot of preachers say, well, if you're not expecting anything from God, you're not going to receive anything. I came to tell you, that is rubbish. God is way nicer than that. I'm pretty sure that what God wants to do in our lives, what God wants to do in this church and in this region and what he wants to do in this nation, I'm pretty sure that it is exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I'm just going to hang out with the Apostle Paul, if you don't mind, because I believe that God wants to exceed your expectations. He's going to fulfill the word you stopped believing for. 
give you some Bible for that. I don't want you to think I'm making stuff up because I feel y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. It's okay. Watch this. In 2 Kings chapter 4, the Shunammite woman made a place for the prophet Elisha. She made a room for him for him to stay. She ministered to his physical needs, okay? She provided food and shelter when he did not have it. He'd have been out in the cold. You know what I'm talking about. And he said, you've been so good to us. We want to bless you. How can we bless you? She wouldn't even speak up and put a name to anything. His servant said, well, she doesn't have a son and her husband's old. Don't you like it when the Bible tells you just a little too much? She didn't have a son and she wasn't going to get one, okay? Elijah looked at her, Elisha looked at her and said, this time next year, you're going to hold a son in your arms. She didn't respond in faith. She didn't respond in expectation. She said, no, man of God, don't you lie to me. I stopped praying about this years ago. But because God is good <laughs> and because he's better than what we've expected, Elisha looked at her and said, this time next year, nevertheless, you're going to hold that baby in your arms. And God did it because he's nicer. Tracy says it like this. He's nicer than church people. She also says, who needs the devil when you got church people? She says, I don't even need the devil to attack me when I got church people. I'm telling you, Tuesday night's going to be epic in here. I would love to be a fly on the wall. God is the door opener. I want to read you a couple of scriptures. See, watch this. In Isaiah twenty two twenty two, it says, Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulders. When he opens, no man will shut. And when he shuts, no man will open. If you want to know who that scripture was ultimately talking about, Jesus pulled it over into the book of Revelation, chapter 3. He said, I have the key of David. What I open, no man will shut. And what I shut, no man will open. See, some of y'all need God to open some doors. Some of y'all need God to shut some doors. Jesus is the author, but yeah, he's the finisher too. Some stuff needs to have a full stop at the end of the sentence. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, if it's a new season, it means the old season's got to go. Our God is the door opener. I came to tell you, he's opening doors that no man can shut, and he is shutting doors that no man can open. I want to read you a scripture. My pastor in, in America... Uh, Pastor Jim Rayleigh said at the beginning of this year, he said, this is the season of supernatural expansion. And he said, this is your double door season. I'm like, what is he talking about? I'm like, hmm, I don't know what that means. I felt the Holy Ghost, but I didn't know what he was talking about. He gave this scripture, Isaiah 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings. To open before him the double doors. You see it? To open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I am the Lord who call you by your name and I am the God of Israel. He's opening the double doors. He's opening the double doors. See, and Pastor John Kilpatrick taught me this, both publicly and privately. That scripture is puzzling. The Lord said, I'm going to give you the treasures of darkness, hidden riches of secret places. Now, that's got to mean more than money. And once again, we're not taking an offering. So everybody relax. I'm not going there. Breathe. I know I'm American. I promise I'm not a money-grubbing American. I drive a Ford, not a Cadillac, and I'm mighty happy with it. It's okay. Just relax. Okay, But when, when God says, I'm going to give you the treasures of darkness, you know and I know that God has not been blessing darkness with treasure. 
If darkness has treasure, it's because they stole it. How many have had the devil steal from them before? Right? (laughs) Here's some good news. In the book of Exodus, God said, when you catch a thief stealing, he's got to pay it back. Double. In some cases, he's got to pay it back seven times. I'm going to say it again. How many have had the devil steal from you? Let me put it this way. How many have a prodigal son or daughter in here? Anybody? How many have had job opportunities that you got passed up for, that you were overqualified for, and they gave it to somebody else, passed you over, the devil stole that job from you? How many have ever had that happen before? How many have ever had the devil take resources from you, not just financial ones, human resources? How many have had things like that happen to you? The double doors. I'm telling you, God wants to open up the doors. When God starts opening up the doors in this church, what's going to happen is, listen here, there's going to be people that, have, that will come back that they left, and maybe they left the wrong way, but God's going to stir their hearts, and he's going to bring them back. And when they do, you better smile and give them a hug, baby, because you need those human resources in this house. There are staff members that the church doesn't have yet that you're going to need for the days ahead. The double doors are opening, and I believe God's going to send them. When God opens the door, no man can shut it. Is anybody in here, or am I preaching to myself? So these are the scriptures that, that wake me up at night. Wake up to, come on, my child's 20 months old, so I'm now well acquainted with 3 o'clock in the morning. And the baby cried on cue. That was awesome. Awesome timing. That was epic. That was epic. But when I'm up at 3 o'clock in the morning, these are the scriptures I hear in my spirit. I hear Jesus saying, I have the key of David. What I open, no man will shut. What I shut, no man will open. I'm opening up the double doors. You're going to see the treasures of darkness come back to the house of God where they belong. And these are the scriptures that keep me awake. So I'm going to tell a story, and you might think I'm crazy, but I've been coming to this church since 2014, and if this is the first time you thought I'm, I'm crazy, you're way late to the ball game. So it doesn't matter. But I was in my house. We were doing a bit of painting because when we first bought our house, we, we bought a bit of a fixer-upper, but I was pregnant and paint fumes. <laughs> no, it wasn't happening. So we just had to leave some things until, until Malachi was born. But one day I was in the house, and Nathan can't be trusted with a paintbrush, so I was doing it. <laughs> he's got other things that he's really good at, but none of them are painting. So Malachi was down for his nap. Isn't it amazing what you can do in an hour and a half? I'm like a white tornado in there, Emma. It's great. So I was painting and minding my own business. We've got some double doors in our living room that lead out to the back patio, but I'm painting in the stairwell just trying to take authority over the horrible colors that those people thought were awesome. <laughs> it looked like the 90s threw up on my house. So <laughs> Pea green in the kitchen. I don't know. It's just crazy. So... I'm in there painting, minding my business. I get a phone call from a friend, so I thought, well, I can't really paint and focus on that while I'm talking to her. I'm going to put the paintbrush down, and I'll go check the mail. We've got a bit of a long driveway because we live in the country. We love you, but we travel a lot, so when we come off the road, we don't want to see anybody. <laughs> so we chose not to live in, you know, civilization. So go down this gravel road <laughs> to, the, to the mailbox, there, and there's nothing around my house. There's, like, no trees right around the house. I live in Florida. We have hurricanes, and you don't need a tree right next to your window. Come on, y'all. That ain't even a hard math problem to do. As I walked back up into my house, nobody could have gotten in the house and made this happen. I hesitate to tell this story sometimes, Phil, because people in church get a little bit offended sometimes, but I've noticed that all the best-selling books are like 
supernatural like Harry Potter. If we don't talk about the real supernatural, if we don't tell what really happened, then they're going to go seek the supernatural from the wrong source. So I hope I don't mess your church up too bad with this. But it happened. He said go for it. So if you don't like it, blame him, okay? I walked back up into my house. There was this sensation of the peace of God. It was so tangible. It was like you could cut the air with a knife. I walked into my living room. (laughs) And the double doors that lead out to my back patio had been blown open. Okay. They had been both latched, okay, and deadbolted. And they had been blown open. But you don't have to believe me, okay? But I walked up to those doors. And my deadbolt was still in the locked position. I'm a bit of a practical Christian, so what I did was I shut the door back and shook it as hard as I could to try to make that happen. Because I don't like airy, fairy, weirdo Christianity. Come on with the Care Bears and the Smurfs. I don't get in for all that. I don't understand it. I don't know what people are talking about. I don't want any pixie dust. I want Jesus. If it's not real, I want nothing to do with it. I shook that door with all my might, and I could not make it open. And it's like I could hear the Holy Ghost in my spirit going, I open up the doors that no man can shut. You know, it's one thing when God gives you a message to preach in a church. It's quite another thing when he illustrates it in your house. It freaked me out so bad. (laughs) It freaked me out. I called my husband and I said, baby, either God is talking to me or I am cracking up. And he said, it's probably a little bit of both, to be honest. (laughs) As a matter of fact, Phil, I called Tracy next. She was my next phone call. Sometimes I call her and depend on her to tell me whether or not I'm crazy. I've known her since I was 12, so she's one of the people that has rebuking power in my life. So I told her what happened. I said, am I a nut job? (laughs) She's like... No, baby, here's what's up. My husband's been walking around preaching and praying about open doors and gates for six weeks. Jan Painter, their very dear friend who prophesied the Bay Revival, without knowing that James, Tracy's husband, was doing that, she put gates up on the platform of her church and opened up the doors and said, this is the open door season. She said, no, honey, you're not crazy. This is just what the Lord says. The doors are open. She said, and as for them opening on their own when they were latched and deadbolted, she said, we're in a season right now where God is just exercising some sovereignty because what is going to be happening in the earth right now is bigger than what our faith can produce. So God's just going to go ahead and act of his own initiative, of his own sovereignty, and show off some power. I believe it. Do you know, and the more I thought about it, I felt like an idiot because I was three feet away when Delia Knox got out of her chair and took a walk after 22 years with the nerves severed from the waist down. I was right there with her when she marched across the church at the Bay Revival, and I was impressed because Jesus is bigger than my deadbolt. I believe he's opening up the double doors. I believe that What he's opening up in this season, no man can shut. I believe that the move of God, I believe that you're going to be looking for a new building very soon because this is absolutely cramped now. Praise God. 
I believe that what God's doing in Cambridge is bigger than King's Church. I believe that what God's doing in the United Kingdom, I believe it's going to shake this nation to the core. I believe, listen, I'm desperate for it because, do you know, your nation and mine, we tend to have our awakenings in tandem. We shared guys like Whitfield and the Wesley brothers. So I'm begging you, please have your awakening so we can have ours. We, we got to have it. Have you watched American news lately? We need it right now. It's an emergency. And I love you, baby, but I've watched the BBC. You're in a pretty bad way too. Okay? I believe that when God starts opening the doors of awakening in this nation, that it's going to have repercussions all over the world. I am on record as saying that God is going to bring epicenters of revival all over this nation. I'm telling you, I believe it from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I believe he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. I believe he's going to pour out his spirit on white flesh, on black flesh, on Middle Eastern flesh, on Indian flesh. I believe that Muslims are going to come to Jesus Christ like never before in this nation. I believe it because God is opening up the doors. Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. But I believe that money is coming to this church because the vision of the house exceeds what you have the resources for. We've got to get 10,000 pounds to Iraq. I'm not talking about money so you can go buy a bigger Christmas tree. I'm talking about money so we can do the work of God. We've got a vision in here. My goodness, let's get some ISIS fighters saved in the name of Jesus. I believe that money that the devil stole from this house is coming through the double doors. I believe that prodigal sons and daughters are coming through the double doors. My God is the door opener. And what he opens, no man can shut. And I'm just crazy enough to believe God. Worship team, if y'all want to come, I think you might know what song I want you to play. If y'all can't figure it out today, you really need another cup of coffee. (laughs) While they're getting set up, I've got one more. And then I don't know what in the world's going to happen next, but I've got a pretty strong feeling I'll blame Pastor Phil for it. <laughs> the God I serve is the peace speaker. See, Jesus was going across on a boat. He and his disciples, he'd said, we're going to go to the other side. And then he went down into the boat and took a nap. Tracy told me that too. You only have authority over the storms you can sleep through. But the the guys have a panic attack because here comes this storm. Now, let me say this to you. Storms are not bad things you go through in life. Sometimes we use it to mean that. That's not a storm. The storm was not a bad thing that the disciples were going through. The storm was something sent that came in between them and what the word of the Lord had said. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. The storm came to stop it. You all said earlier that you believe God's got a plan for your life, and I agree with you according to the word of God. But guess what? If there's a plan of God from your life, there's a plan of hell to stop it. A storm is something that stands in opposition to the plan of God for your life. It stands in direct opposition to that. But Jesus, and don't get mad at me. I'm not trying to pick on some of the songwriters. They've written great songs about all of this stuff. When I say Jesus is the peace speaker, what I'm telling you is he did not look at the boys in the boat and say, Guys, I'm going to need you to buckle up. This is going to be a bit of a rough ride. We're going to have to hold on and go through this storm together. He didn't say, and 
He didn't say, and I'm going to need you to praise me through this storm. Sounds good, doesn't it? But it's not right. You don't negotiate with your storm. You don't endure your storm. If hell brings something in opposition to your destiny and God, this is what I came to tell you. Storms are rebukable. Something comes in opposition to what God has said about your life. You don't endure it. You look at it and you say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Peace be still. Because the God we serve is the peace speaker. He speaks peace to every storm. And he's good at it. He's the way maker. He's the chain breaker. (laughs) He's the gate unlocker. Never mind unlocking it. He'll just rip the gates off. He's He's the peace speaker. I don't know what you need this morning. And I've preached entirely too long. So I don't know how much time we're going to have. I don't know if you need Jesus to break some chains. But he's good at it. And he's here. I don't know if you need him to make a way where there seems to be no way. But he's good at it and he's here. Whatever you need. He's here. We could have talked about Jesus being the water walker. He walks on impossible things. He's not intimidated about what we've called impossible. He's good, he's here, and he wants to touch you right where you are. So why don't you just stand with me all over this room? Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.